Kia ora. welcome to Dancing in Your Head, a show that explores the outer reaches of music. And um, today's guest needs no introduction to the local Paikakariki audience, but for um, people listening to the podcast of this show, uh, our guest is Sam Buchanan, who's a local Paikakariki lad who is an anarchist and an amateur uh, pyrotechnician and a wonderful dancer and a journalist and a uh, what else do you do Sam? You um, are involved in the Freedom Shop in Wellington. Yeah the Freedom Shop's a little anarchist bookshop up in Newtown and that's keeping me pretty busy at the moment. and um, gardener, gardening, yeah, what have I been doing lately? All sorts, going to gigs and uh, trying to promote a few little things, but um, yep, resilient stuff and Pika Kariki has also been on the cards lately. Yeah, it all comes and goes. Uh, Sam is a pillar of the Pika Kariki community, and it's a great pleasure to have him on the show today. And um, I mean. I don't know what you're going to choose, Sam, but I know that you've got a long and uh, deep love for punk music and local punk bands. Uh, I don't know if that's on the cards today, but yeah. Yeah, well, we've got a few of those. Um, I think we're going to start off with Darts, who are probably the, the great band from Wellington at the moment, or possibly the greatest band from Wellington ever. At least they seem to think so, So, and I'm <laughs> not going to disagree with them on that one. Uh, Maybe a fantastic band, but there's actually... There's been a lot going on in Wellington lately in the punk scene. There's, you know, darts are kind of almost more in the 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 party punk, pop punk kind of side, but also with good political bent. And yeah, but there's there's been gigs galore lately. Lots of new bands, lots of young bands starting out. So and old hands getting back into bands. So uh, it's all over the place at the moment, and very good. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, let's start with the darts. Um, the track is called No Dogs at This Party, and um, we'll carry on after that.
Actually, high at the beach, not not no dogs at this party. But <laughs> high at the beach is a good Pikeyuki song for the summer just coming to an end. <laughs> and that's a darts uh, current Wellington band. How long have they been around for? Uh, ooh, I saw them just before COVID hit, whenever that was. So they've been around here three years, I guess. And um, yeah, but they kind of rapidly went from being a fairly obscure little band to. Um, to actually pulling in big audiences and yeah extremely good at their uh design work for one thing dan's a singer does a political cartoon on the on the web and um yeah there's they have excellent merchandise and always extremely well drawn posters and album covers and so forth which does really i think add something to the to the music it's uh where would you go uh like where's the current Venues for punk bands, like maybe more established ones, might play at uh, some of the bigger venues, but smaller punk gigs, really. Yeah, uh, well, darts you probably see mostly at San Fran, they seem to be quite a common thing at the San Fran, Fran Bat House. And most of the punk gigs you see tend to be at Valhalla, which is not a venue I much like actually, it's just around on Vivian Street, around the corner from. Uh, Cube Street, and um, yeah, my my dislike of that uh, venue is solely based on the fact that the dance floor is concrete and it's too hot on my knees, which are getting old. Uh, but um, yeah, I've had I did get to Guitar Wolf there two or three weeks ago, which was absolutely wonderful, and I have no complaints about that venue at all. For Guitar Wolf, it was really up close and personal, and they're a middle-aged Japanese band, but. High Certainly energy. not slowing down. Yeah, very high energy. <laughs> I saw them at. That uh, was one of the first gigs I saw in Wellington. Was Guitar Wolf at Valhalla in about nineteen what ninety eight or something like that? Maybe. That, that yeah, they've been around since the eighties. I can't remember quite when they started out, but yeah, and they ain't showing any signs of slowing down. Yeah, so that was a wonderful gig. Um, you were just telling me about um, gig on the back of a truck yesterday in Princess Bay, a punk gig. 
Yeah, there was a gig yesterday at uh, Princess Bay, which was an absolute beauty. It was out in a lovely spot, lovely weather. Um, uh, local punk guy had built a stage and sound system into onto a trailer, which is all roofed in and closed and then sort of all opens up, hinges out, all the walls come out and you suddenly got a stage and a whole setup on the back of this trailer. So yeah, that was he's done a couple of gigs in that that I know of, possibly more that I didn't know about, but um, they just quietly seem to turn up every now and then and some people get to know about them. So yeah, that's a lovely little project and just Koha gigs and spots around Wellington. So I had a chat with him. Hopefully he'll be bringing that out to Paiko Kuriki next summer. We'll cool. hopefully get something down at the beach. And um, when did it, was your involvement with music begin? Were you like a musician yourself ever? Or you've always been a kind of appreciator and a... Uh, What's the word I'm thinking? Like agitated? No, maybe not. A uh, uh, you've been involved behind the scenes for yeah. Well, I kind of. I mean, mostly I've just been in, really an audience member, but in the punk scene, there's quite a lot of participation from the audience members. So, including you know helping out, clearing up, tidying up, putting up posters, whatever that needs doing really. So, I've sort of for years I was just going to punk gigs and sort of being the the dog's body that helps out and. It's only really since I came to Pycock that I started, or came back to Pycock Rigi, that I started occasionally organising gigs and getting a little bit more involved in putting things on. But the whole punk experience just really taught everybody how to do gigs and at least be useful at gigs. So, yeah, so punk I really probably discovered relatively late in life. It was more like in my early 20s that I really got into punk rather than sort of early teenage angsty years. I mean, I spent my teenage years in Piker Greek listening to Pink Floyd, which I hate to admit that, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be worse things to listen to and in worse places. Oh, there were much worse things to listen to, <laughs> but, uh, yes, I find the Pink Floyd cult a bit um, depressing lately, the fact that <laughs> angsty teenagers are still listening to Pink Floyd. Uh, but, yeah, so... As soon as I sort of started getting into Wellington, I really, really discovered punk through the politics, actually, initially. It was sort of the politics that drew me into punk rather than the other way around. And also the fact that when I started going to gigs in the 80s, punk was very much about dancing, too. Uh, probably less so these days. I mean, they're still dancing at punk gigs, but back in the day, it was kind of weird if you didn't dance. It was sort of like a very much a dancing scene, and it was a very... There was a style of dancing then, which uh, was very sort of semi-folk dancing, I suppose. It, there was a lot of forming circles and lines and grabbing people and sort of all jumping up to, down together in unison. And it was all very friendly and you, everybody fell over a lot and uh, picked each other up. And yeah, it was uh, quite an energetic time, really. So it certainly continues at some gigs, but... Yeah, punk's sort of gone in so many different directions now. It's kind of there's all sorts, all sorts of things in the punk scene, which, uh, some of which is wonderful, some of which I find a little bit dull, but, uh, I'm still glad it's really happening still. And every other subculture seems to have died just about. Punk seems <laughs> to be the only one that's really, really kept going. Yeah, that's true. Um, we're gonna, it's not all about punk today because the next, uh, track you've got to play for us as a Trinidadian Calypso where are these 
Where's this band from, the Calypso Kings? Yeah, well, this is a compilation from... This is really just something I uh, I picked up from my mum because she was a great second-hand shops, op shops person back in the day and I picked up particularly a bunch of records by this label, which is Cook Laboratories from the Connecticut, and they went around the Caribbean in the 50s and 60s recording on-the-spot music, and this is uh, just a particularly lovely example of that. This is the annual Trinidad uh, Port of Spain Calypso Festival, uh, featuring a whole bunch of people, some obscure, some including the Mighty Sparrow, who's probably the most famous Calypso singer. And uh, actually, I was just thinking about this record because that gig you had something to do with down at St. Peter's a couple of weeks oh, ago. Yeah. Uh, store Storehouse. Storehouse. Yeah. Yeah, who had a quite a Calypso influence. Uh, but, yeah, Cook Records would turn up in op shops in New Zealand, uh, and they're absolutely amazing if you ever see any of them. Uh, steel band, pre-revolutionary Cuban nightclub jazz, all sorts of everything that's been recorded. So they're amazing, amazing period pieces. And uh, yeah, this was something my mum was into that I sort of picked up on. And uh, yeah, so, so this is a cal- compilation called uh, Calypso Kings, and we're going to play the first track, which is Lord Melody sings Creature from the Black Lagoon. Great title. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, here comes the Calypso King of 1956 in person of the King Sparrow. And Sparrow is coming to tell you all about a letter he received from a good old Mopsy he had someplace. January got married in February. I fell in love in January. Got married in February. From the middle of March up to May. I left my wife and went away. Coming back home as to spend my honeymoon. I received a letter in June. It was dear Sparrow. Darling, I hate to write. Oh my dear. I must let you know tonight The baby born And darling you ought to know I am so happy The child resemble your Uncle Joe I got the letter early one evening Soon as I finished working, the postman came. I was so happy because I wanted to hear from she. But then I thought was a different sparrow. I only know this woman a few months ago. Say what you like, she is running wild. Since I born, I never hear about a three-month child. But it's dear sparrow. Darling, I hate to write. Oh, my dear. I must let you know tonight The baby born And since it start to grow I am so happy to say It's the image of Uncle Joe Now I want you to pay attention Tell me if I took the right action Took up 
got me pencil and piece of paper I decided to write me lover Something wrong, no one can deny it My wife is involved in some kind of rocket Before I finish right to move from the table The postman came back this time with a cable Saying Sparrow Please hurry home today Shoes, black and yellow. 
That was Rancid, right? That was Rancid with Time Bomb. That was sort of on the punk scar kind of side of things, which um, we sort of moved on to from Calypso. We did play the wrong Calypso song too, which we... Uh, we that was Mighty Sparrow rather than Lord Melody. So anyway, that makes a change. And Mighty Sparrow probably was the most famous of all the Clipsonians. He went on to uh, quite big things by local standards, at least. So and quite political as a lot of a lot of Clipso was. Yeah, yeah. subtle kind of metaphorical, uh, pointed. Statements and inside the lyrics somehow didn't. I was kind of tuning out. I didn't really get it, but I just heard the end. Is like, oh, that's unusual? If uh, uh, what is it? If it looks like a, if the kid looks like a sparrow. Yeah, well, this was all about his girlfriend getting claiming to be pregnant with his child and uh, <laughs> uh, going. Hmm, I've only known her for three months. This is strange. <laughs> After the child was born, that's a very common theme in Calypso and actually early ska music. There's an awful lot about um, uh, sort of whose whose father somebody was or wasn't and things like that. It's, uh, but yeah, there was quite a lot of uh, a lot of that sort of music had a lot to do with sort of anti decolonisation as well. It was sort of very local and uh, a lot about. You know, getting independence from the British. So, some of the a lot of early ska songs, uh, all about the excitement of independence and whether or not to be a federation or not, and mm. uh, whether they're going to be the federation of the British West Indies that the British wanted, and uh, you know, everybody deciding to go it alone for better or for worse. But yeah, a lot of lot of commentaries on that sort of thing, the cost of living as well. So, all sorts of stuff in in that music. Yeah, and then uh, Rancid. They're from. Are they, are they a Californian band? I don't really know much about. Uh, them. Actually, I can't. Remember. I think they might be from Washington State. Uh, going by the lyrics oh, of right. Olympia WA, but um, that might be just a uh, thing. They, uh, yeah, they're kind of a fairly popular for a while, sort of punk ska, bit of everything kind of band, and. Um, I don't know much about them either, really. Uh, just quite like that that particular CD. So, uh, yeah. Cool. And we got um, just lined up to play uh, a track called Texas by a New Zealand band called the Pop Mechanics, right? Yeah, well, this is sort of from back in my very my teenage years, I guess. I think it goes back that far. Uh, we're a... I was listening to mostly New Zealand music and there's been periods in my life where I, I've really been completely ignoring what's going on overseas and I've missed out on all sorts of things and discovered them later. There was actually some quite good bands from elsewhere, but every every now and then I just seem to be solely focused on what's going on locally and which is usually extremely rewarding and yeah, back in my teenage years, it was actually a couple of radio stations that played incredibly good music on late at night, well, supposedly late after 8pm, and especially a huge, huge amount of New Zealand music got played then, uh, which has kind of mostly gone downhill. We don't really hear that many obscure, relatively obscure New Zealand bands on the radio. There's always the occasional big hit, but um, yeah, I think back in those days... There was a few more, bit more experimentation going on on commercial radio, and you had mm. to listen to, well, strangely enough, Radio Windy in the, at one point in time, and then later, 2XS and Palmerston North. It was probably what had 
probably had more impact on me than any other, certainly radio station. It just sort of brought out all sorts of amazing music that I'd never heard of and was just blown away by. So, And, yeah, New Zealand and overseas, new releases and a lot of new wave and punk and all sorts of things. But um, Even the more. big labels, like I'm thinking, um, like Virgin Records, I just read this book about uh, Henry Cow, this uh, British band who are uh, very kind of avant-garde rock slash jazz-ish band from the 70s and um, they were releasing records with uh, Virgin alongside like uh, Faust, the German band who are also super experimental in their their own way with tape machines and uh, you know, recording in odd situations and things, yeah. And that's like Virgin, which is it's not yeah, exactly it's, what you'd think of in terms of an experimental record label. No, one of the things that was happening in the late 70s especially was that after, especially after punk rock had a few brief successes, uh, the record companies just had no understanding of what was going on, which was an absolute dream for bands because record executives are basically telling people to just go out and record anything because we can't really tell what's good now. Their understanding of what made popular music and what made hits was just completely out the window. So that wasn't just just the punk rock. It was also sort of a whole lot of bands and I think people like Ian Drury, which in hindsight just seemed like quite amazing that they got so much airplay. Mm. Uh, These quite sort of odd just not really fitting into any particular genre kind of bands and it was yeah there was just this thing of well we'll just have to try it and see and so all sorts of people were getting recorded that probably at any other stage of history would not have been recorded because the companies just didn't know what was going on anymore i suppose it was a bit like that in the very early days of rock and roll when a lot of record companies just thought this was uh, god-awful noise and just couldn't understand why it was popular, but the records were selling, so they just mm. sent people out and said, you know, go grab a band and record it, record some of this stuff, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> cool. And uh, so the pop mechanics sort of weirdly fit into that uh, trajectory from a New Zealand point of view. Yeah, well, they were sort of a post-punk band, I guess you'd call them these days, but um, they weren't really punk, but they were sort of riding that kind of wave of music, and suddenly New Zealand music became... Uh, well, popular, but also, you know, prior to that that period, nearly all New Zealand music was very much a reflection of what was going on overseas. And at this point, there was a a whole lot of bands that just decided they'd do whatever the hell they wanted, and really came up with a whole lot of, you know, particularly the Dunedin sound, which came out of that period, uh, sort of, which wasn't just replicating an overseas sound. Um, this particular track is actually quite a an easy listening radio hit really and it got a little bit of airplay but didn't really go anywhere which um i would look back on and go that should have been a hit i don't understand why it wasn't it's all very nice and pretty and cute <laughs> let's give it a whirl
It's the Tuts. Yep, that's the Tuts, a UK band from a few years ago. They style themselves a three-tone band because they're all different ethnicities. There's a white British, a... Um, I think Caribbean and uh, one from Pakistan, three women playing high-energy sort of pop punk. And, yeah, they put up an album a few years ago which got some amazing reviews saying this is the end of pop music, this is just the perfect album, nothing nothing can beat this. So, yeah, and when I discovered them, I just went, wow, that's exciting. You know, they're just one of these really sort of energetic and just fun, fun, fun bands. I think I used to listen to much more intellectual music. I think my taste is getting more and more uh, for just stupid, fun, happy music. I don't know whether that's a sign of the times, but uh, I commented after I went to see Guitar Wolf a few weeks back that it was just like having your IQ lowered by 80%, <laughs> and it just was the best possible time you could have. And uh, So, yeah, there's lots of lots of silly music around, which is... Mm. And, you know, good dance music, which is crucial. And I, I can't really understand why people go to bands and don't dance. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, you're often leading the leading the charge on the dance floor, I've noticed, at gigs in the hall and anywhere. Yeah, it's good to see. It's great actually being a musician playing and someone's not afraid to get up there and break that uh, sort of dreaded semicircle of uh, the void on the front of the stage. Yeah, well, that's um, one of the great things about Pikakariki, I think, is that people are not afraid to dance, which you go to Wellington sometimes and you're just like, are you people just going to stand here all night looking at your phones? It's kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, why don't you stay at home and have a cup of tea? And, of course, this doesn't make me sound like an arrogant old punk, I know, but um, it's kind of, why do you go out if you're not going to at least move around a little bit, please. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about, uh, before we kind of move on, there's a, got a bunch of other tracks lined up, including a couple of uh, New Zealand post-punk, punk post-punk bands from the 80s coming up. But um, I was, um, yeah, I was just thinking about Pakakariki and your involvement, and one of the things, um, we got you down to Pyramid Club to do a... Uh, workshop and um part of that was uh a um fireworks a diy fireworks um display on uh taranaki street which was uh a highlight for me of um any of the workshops we've had there smoked out taranaki street which was fantastic but um is that always tell me about your fireworks what does that mean well, I've always loved fireworks, and that goes back to... That's another old Pikakariki thing, because when I was a kid, there were just bonfires all the way up the beach. Everybody would stack up a huge bonfire and um, have fireworks parties down on the beach. And when I came back to Pycock, it was sort of, well, can't do that anymore. You've got to get a permit. And I thought I, I should restart this tradition. So the, the bonfires are not as big as they used to be, because I have to had to comply with council requirements. You know, the great thing is the fire service has taken over issuing permits and they, they're much much more casual about it. They're just uh, The council was much more bureaucratic and you had to follow rules and apply and now it's more just go for it as long as you do it safely in the right certain places, go for it. So, yeah, fireworks. Well, that workshop at the Pyramid Club was sort of a about 
how this can be a community building experience. And I think I was talking about micro support, which was a term I came up with really to counter the, there was a lot of talk about microaggressions at the time. And I was just trying to spin this back to let's talk about all the nice things that are going on the the positives that happen within a community that are just these little little small acts of support that keep everybody going mm. and um and this is front of my brain at the moment because i was bizarrely enough reading a pamphlet or well a chapter of a book by peter kropotkin the old anarchist russian anarchist from the late 19th century and he wrote a book in 1902 called mutual aid which was a big hit in the anarchist movement back in 1902 1903 and then the term pretty much vanished from mainstream political discourse or mainstream discourse of any sort until the pandemic a couple of years ago when suddenly mutual aid got talked about and people noted that all this community support that happened in relation to the pandemic was um, actually quite significant and really making a difference to people's lives and this is what Kropotkin wrote about 120 years ago and I've just been reissuing the that chapter as a pamphlet for the Freedom Shop in Wellington with a cover graphic from a Canadian anarchist artist that just I managed to track down on the internet and say, can I use a graphic? And she was cool. So um, look for that soon because I was reading this chapter and just going, it's like this guy is reading my mind. He's just talking about all the things that I've been talking about in the last week. And I happened to go to a meeting about trade unions and he's talking all about the history of trade unions and how this has developed at the time. And it was all very depressing because it's like, you're reading something from 120 years ago, and it's like we've gotten, we've made no progress. What he's saying is all just completely irrelevant. He was even talking about soup and schools, which is another little, you know, project in Pikegriki to do soup and schools over the winter term, which I indulge in myself, and which is a lovely thing to do to go down and cook soup. And Peter Kropotkin was talking about a similar project on a somewhat larger scale back in 1902, mm. and it's just, yeah, it's. It, it's wonderful reading these things and sort of thinking we're doing all the right things in this community, but it's also, uh, why why haven't we made more progress? Why is political writing from over 100 years ago still relevant to our present situation? It shouldn't be. We should have superseded all that. You're like a, a poster boy for um, micro-community building here with uh, the old what's-his-name library and i'm thinking just things like uh you know because i live over the road so we get to witness your um halloween sundays on the lawn and various other community kind of small things you know but they're um just involve everybody it's uh non-exclusive which is fantastic really important yeah, well, it doesn't take much, and I think perhaps one of the problems of the modern world is people think everything has to be a big thing, or it has to be growing, and as certainly I find yeah. with music, that's actually a major problem, because you get festivals and things that, you know, start out small, and they're quite happy, and then they get a bit bigger, and then they get bigger, and then they get a bit bigger, and then they all completely fall over, because you usually have a whole lot of amateur people that don't really know what they're doing, and if they just keep to a small festival, and, and there's, you know, great examples of that, and I think the Pyramid Club is one of them, which is doesn't really intend i don't think to i mean do you want to be <laughs> no. a, <laughs> no, a huge <laughs> venue for major overseas acts it just seems like it's hey this is a showcase for you know bands that might only attract 20 people and that's great you know and this it's always a nice time it's always a friendly time and just it's, it's always interesting going to the pyramid club you know 
never been to a, a gig. I was disappointed in there. It's just a different experience from the sort of the mass stadium gig, which I can't understand why anybody ever goes to myself. It sort of seems like a, a bit of a bore watching a band from two kilometres away that you can barely see. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, for some reason, people spend huge amounts of money going to these big big gigs when the best gigs are always the obscure ones on a Wednesday night that you don't expect much from and you get there and a band you've never heard of turns out to be utterly amazing or uh, or it's your mates playing that you just go along to see and it's yeah much better time than all the, the hyped up big things Let's play one uh, play a track off this album which is a compilation of Wellington bands it's called when the wind blows this is from the late 80s i think right 87 i saw somewhere skank records 1987 so this is a kind of mid 80s wellington post-punk yeah theme. well the glass were a post-punk band i just managed to miss them i think they were playing just before i started really uh catching a lot of gigs but um so i think this recording is a little bit older than the uh the album i think they might have come out quite a bit later but uh yeah skank attack were people i vaguely knew back in the day uh who were one of those bands that never really never really broke into anything special but they also did a great job in promoting other bands and recording music and putting out a yeah a couple of records got put out on skank records and i think there's probably only a couple but yeah mm, very primates i know of a few people that had um Crossed over into the uh, sort of free jazz world later, industrial stuff. Yeah. Yeah, some of the glass people I think are still playing actually, but um, they were, I think, I think somebody who was in them actually played at the Pyramid Club a while ago. But uh, Gosh, I wonder but who that was. I can't remember the name of the person. It was somebody who's now UK based, I think. So mm. uh, I just sort of vaguely heard that in the grapevine that I didn't manage to get to the gig, damn it. But. <laughs> Well, let's have a listen. So this is The Glass. Yeah, this is an anti-nuclear song from the 80s when, of course, that sort of thing was huge. So uh, based on the Raymond Briggs book. But, yeah, it's a wonderful track. When the Wind Blows.
She's a mud, 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 yeah, 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 she's a mud, she's a mud, yeah, yeah, she's a mud, she's a mud, she won't change in my heart. Girl, now listen to me, I've got something to say. Black leather corduroy After being a rocker for a week She's a mod and I wanna know why She's a mod, she's a mod, she's a mod Yeah, 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 yeah She's a mod, she's a mod Yeah, yeah, she's a mod, she's a mod She won't change anymore Classic, Kiwi classic. Yeah, that, that was the Terraways covering She's a Mod, originally from Ray Columbus and the Invaders back in the 60s. Uh, Terraways were probably slightly just before my time in the punk scene, the very early days of the Auckland punk scene, but I did manage to catch them up a reformed Terraways gig a couple of years ago up in Auckland. And they looked like they were about to drop dead. They were <laughs> quite... Um, uh, yeah, not not the healthiest looking bunch, at least particularly the lead singer. But they propped him up against the microphone, and he sang absolutely beautiful, and started off with a cover of "Be My Baby," which was absolutely lovely. So <laughs> it was quite unexpected, but uh, yeah, but that was a part of the the punk thing, which really was covering a whole lot of very early rock and roll bands, which um, had a sort of you know it's occasionally been noted that punk was sort of getting back to the basics and getting back to those early rock and roll days. So uh, it wasn't all completely autochthonic and sort of appearing from nowhere. It was really just a response. Well, musically, it was, I think, a response to the sort of the hype and the, the star system that was kind of ruining music, the you know, domination of sort of bands who were sort of prog rock superstars and strutting their stuff on stage and punk came along and just blew all that all the way with people being perfectly ordinary and sometimes uh, you know, one of my favourite punk songs is sing, sings about, it's not really the best song but it's just the fact that somebody sings about being sexually dysfunctional and that was just in the 1970s I sort of regard that as an absolute act of heroism of somebody after all these kind of you know Jim Morrison wannabes being the coolest dude on stage you get a guy saying no I'm actually terribly bad at sex <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, 
So the um, that's the Terraways. That's a compilation called AK Seventy Nine, which is a very well known um, Auckland punk compilation. Been reissued here with the help of Flying Nun, by the look of it. Anyway, it's a bunch of bands like Toy Love, uh, Chris Knox's first band, maybe one of his first bands. Second surely. band, I think. The Enemy was his first band. Was it? True. Yeah. Um, the Swingers, the Scavengers. Uh, yeah, Suburban Reptiles. I don't know. That rings a bell, but I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard. Yeah, one of Suburban Reptiles was came under the influence of one of the Split Ends guys, whose name I forget, but um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, Saturday Night Stay Home was an amazing song, and uh, it was also on the soundtrack of the Angel Mine film, which was, it was sort of an art school kind of comedy that came out that was mostly remembered because it had a census warning contains punk cult material. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really punk at all, actually. It was sort of only in the very commercial idea of what punk was, but it, but it probably made the film was that census warning. It just made it, turned it into a classic, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking at the time, we've got five minutes. We only got time for this one. We might not have time for another. We'll see how we go. This is um, like fast forward uh, 40-ish years from the last track. This is the Rash Kolnikovs who've played a bunch of times in St. Peter's Hall and Pakakariki. Fantastic band with uh, Menno Hubers who's in a, oh, probably a dozen different groups um, in Wellington. Yeah, and they're all famous. They're all fabulous. If you ever hear that Menno Hubers is in a band they're they're going to be good. Uh, he's just one of the legends of Wellington music, except for the fact that nobody's ever heard of him, and nobody's ever heard of any of his bands. The Ruskolnikovs is probably the second best band has ever been in Wellington, but um, after the Users, which is also Menno's Menno's band. And uh, Menno's moved up. Uh, he lives in Kapiti now in Otaki, which is great news. Yeah. Um, so let's play. What are we playing like this? Uh, paper water, I think. Paper water, yeah. Hopefully, I got it lined up. Right. Yep, we're not doing very well at getting the right song, but <laughs> this might be paper water. Fifteen dead men on the deck 
captain ordered ring their necks. All this world is so feckless, man's will is so goddamn reckless. Thank you.